Well, I had two illustrations that I planned on using for uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, because this is kind of an unusual book of the Bible and an unusual uh, chapter inside of it. One of those had to do with the change of seasons, where I was going to talk about this is fall and the weather has changed. And then I saw the 10-day forecast and saw, you know, the weather hadn't really changed at all. This is the longest summer ever. And then I thought about, you know, Kentucky, I mean, I was good through most of the fourth quarter last night that finally things are changing and Kentucky's going to beat Florida. And that illustration kind of fell apart as well. So the more I thought about it, the failure of those two illustrations kind of fit the book of Ecclesiastes really, really well. Where what you think is true often is not true, even though it should be true. This is kind of a confusing book. So let me invite you this morning to keep uh, your Bibles open to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And what we're going to see today is that the reality is for your life and my life as followers of Jesus Christ. That even though we know him and even though we trust in him, oftentimes our lives can be very, very confusing. Can't we all agree that that is indeed true? So if, uh, if you think about Ecclesiastes, if you're not familiar with this book, this is written by Solomon, who was the king of Israel. His father was David, who was the greatest king of Israel. And this has been recorded in Scripture to help us see the hopelessness that we have in life when we live only by our own insight and our own imagination, and we forget God's rule over our lives. I think the Lord included this book in Scripture for us to deal with the ongoing frustrations that come in life, even though we're followers of Christ. More specifically, Ecclesiastes deals with the confusion that exists for God's people who completely agree that God is personal, that he is loving, that he is good, he has a good plan, and he does good things. All those things that we would say amen to, and yet we live simultaneously in a world where things do not go as they should all the time. Where we live with ongoing injustices, where we see prayers that feel like we've been praying for decade after decade, and it seems as if the God that we love is not paying attention to us. So Solomon, the author here, writes these words to deal with this reality. And the theme of the book is that life appears to be meaningless or all in vain. That is a vapor that we're here today and gone tomorrow. And in his own struggle, he pens these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to fight through the darkness to see the truth. So I think this book is for every one of us who completely agree that Jesus rose from the dead and reigns in the heavenly beings, and that he is coming again and he is bringing heaven with him. And also simultaneously remembering that Genesis chapter 3 really did happen, that the world really does have a curse. And until that curse is fully lifted at Jesus' return, there are strange things in the world that just should not be. There's evil in the world that should not be. And when we live in the tension of both of these, I think we get the book of Ecclesiastes where we're trying to figure this out. So I suggest that the message of this book is for every one of us this morning who call Christ our Savior and are waiting for his return. So here's my proposition for us this morning. It's this, that if we only view life from a human perspective, we will always be disappointed. But if we can see our faith through the lens of our eternal God, 
we can have joy even today. So two points this morning. Let me highlight this. Answering the question of how do we live in an often confusing world? Two things. First, accept your lack of control over life. And then secondly, accept God's daily grace in your life. Your control over life and God's daily grace in your life. First, look back at verses 1 through 8 as we think about what all we can't do. Notice the writer here deals with this theme of time and seasons. He says there is a season for everything, meaning that in the ongoing mundane rhythms of life where we do the same thing over and over and over again, in reality, things are constantly changing. Day after day after day, even in the midst of we fulfill our daily responsibilities, things are changing all around us. Some describe this passage as, quote, the tyranny of time. And that is, we cannot do anything to slow down time. It marches on and on. And what we see in our life is that change is going to happen whether we like it or not. Eventually, fall will come. Eventually, winter will come after fall. Eventually, spring will come and on and on and on. But what we have to realize is we cannot change that. We can't speed it up. We can't slow it down. We're unable to change the past, so we're certainly not able to affect the future. And I think what was really going on in Solomon's mind, if you know much about him, you would realize he was the wealthiest man on earth and the most influential man on earth, perhaps in all of world history. Meaning he really could control a lot. Inside of his little world, which was a big little world, he controlled everything. But he's sure not could not control the fact that his body would age. He couldn't take death away. He could not change the seasons himself. And you can sense as he writes this that you can feel the tension in his life and the humility in his life. And he concludes that despite his own great power, there must be one who is in charge. And it is not me. In these first eight verses, he acknowledges, yes, there is a God. In verse 1, he talks about in heaven. Then in verses 2 through 8, we get this idea that man has no idea what God is going to do next. So much so that he writes this in the form of a poem to capture just the greatness of all that he can't do. And you get these contrasts of life and death and planting and harvesting and killing and healing and so on. But the common element is the same. Time marches on. You cannot change it. You cannot slow it down. You cannot control it. There is a God, and it's not us. Nothing truly is stable in and of our own ability. And the overwhelming theme here in Solomon's heart is, if I'm not in control, and there is someone who is, then I've got to trust that person. I must trust the one who is in charge of the seasons. You know, when we think about the instability of life and the reality of aging and growth and maturity and changing, it really does affect every one of us. There's not one person here that this does not include. Every part of our daily lives fit into this where there are things that happen and change and what tomorrow is, we don't know. 
I was working on my sermon uh, Friday morning here at the church office down in the basement. Uh, I, I thought I was going to be alone. It turned out there were a million meetings going on. I wasn't one bit alone. However, my buddy Andy Harden shows up, uh, and I noticed that Andy is limping just a little bit. And I was like, man, are you okay? What's wrong? And he said, quote, I worked out the other day, and I've decided I needed to rest. This is on Friday. He said, I rested on Wednesday, I rested on Thursday, I'm resting today, and then, quote, I'm going to rest on Saturday and on Sunday. So I'm like, Andy, so the new pattern of exercise in our stage of life is one day of exercise, five days of rest. <laughs> you know what? I can kind of relate. <laughs> like, that seems about right. It didn't used to be that way. We used to be able to exercise more frequently than that. But things change and time marches on. You know, Robert preached this past week at uh, Trinity Christian Academy's chapel service, and it was, uh, he, he talked about 9 11, you know, what happened 18 years ago. And you, know, in my mind, that occurred, that terrorist attack occurred yesterday. Do you know what was crazy? There was only one student in the entire school including high school, that was born on September, by September 11, 2001. None of them were even alive except for one kid, Joseph Waters, who was born in August of that year. You see, time cannot stop. We cannot control it. We cannot control what will happen tomorrow. And at these 14 lines of contrast, it reveals that there is a controller of time and things and events, and it's not us. But what's true for you and what's true for me is that inside of our hearts, every one of us want to create a perfect little world that we can control and enjoy, where we define happiness on our terms and we work for it like crazy. And yet in our inability, we know that we cannot control it. So my encouragement to you this morning, before we get to the good news, is to join in with Solomon and be honest about this reality. You see, he's not hiding his confusion. He's not hiding his frustration. He's putting all of his cards on the table saying, I don't understand. He is sincere in his struggle. He's not hiding behind a false sense of lazy Christianity who's only happy all the time or who's only sad all the time, but rather he's living with the reality that his hope is in a resurrection and yet there's a fall at the exact same time. He's honest about where he is. And I think without, confu- without uh, compromise whatsoever, we can say that his confusion was not just based on himself or not just based on his circumstances. His confusion was in some way based on the fact he did not understand God. One theologian said about this verse of this passage that I like a lot. He said this. He says that in so many ways, Satan is much easier to understand than God is. At least we're not surprised by Satan. He's only evil all the time. But with God, it's hard to create a category sometimes, bad things happening to those who live by faith. See, life under the curse is hard. Can we not agree life can be confusing as a follower of Christ? So I ask you now, what do we do in response to this? If we're going to be honest about this, then I encourage you, part two, to look at this and to see what all our inabilities are and how we respond accordingly. Look at verses 9 through 10. 
to accept our, uh, God's daily grace in our life. Verses 10 through 15 will have some really, really good news and some practical application. But there's one more thing we have to look at. Verse 9, this is Solomon at his worst. When he is fighting this battle of seeing the goodness of God and he just can't handle it anymore. Verse 9, he says, what gain has the worker from his toil? If the book of Ecclesiastes ended there, it would be the most depressing book in all the Bible and it would not be included in the Bible. Fortunately, it doesn't. But this is Solomon saying, as honestly as he possibly can, I don't understand life. This is the equivalent of him saying, it's third down, let's go ahead and punt right now. Because we don't know what we're doing. He is desperate when he says, in all of the toil, what's even left? What gain is there? And there is much indeed. First, what you can do, even today, to appropriate God's grace in your life. Look at verse 11. We are called to look at all of life through the lens of all of eternity and not just for today. Verse 11, God says it has put eternity into our hearts. What this means is there is a beautiful picture that God has given to all of his followers. That we know inside of our souls that we exist for more than just our space of time and years on this earth. I don't know how long any of us will be alive, but I know spiritually we will be alive for all of eternity. And inside of our souls, we know that. When we think and we ascertain life underneath the discretion of God's wisdom, we see the ages, not just the days. In our confession of faith, we said that God is eternal. We belong to him, therefore we are eternal. Our lives are designed for so much more than just what we can see in these days. It's not just for today. In verse 14, later, Solomon preached to himself and to us that all that God does, it lasts forever. So that when we truly embrace a view of life centered upon a resurrection from the dead, literally so, and all that comes with it, we can be encouraged today because today fits into a larger picture. You see, God is crafting a more beautiful story than we will ever know because of eternity. We view things typically only for today or this week. And rather, there is a beautiful kaleidoscope that God is making in our lives and in our stories beyond what we have the ability to ascertain. So realize today that the drama... And the process of life unfolding may seem maddening. But yet, through the perspective of life that never ends, it actually can be exciting. We have no idea all that God is going to do throughout eternity with us. But know in your hearts this morning, you're not crazy. You long for the fact for Jesus to return and you do so because God by his grace has given you eternity in your heart. Be encouraged today. This afternoon, go back and read through Great is Thy Faithfulness, which we already sang this morning. And recall time and time and time again of his faithfulness in your life. So the first thing you do, you recognize all of life for eternity. But then secondly... Notice what we can do to appropriate God's grace 
God calls us to enjoy that which you have today. You think about the ages, but you celebrate what you have today. Let me read verses 12 and 13 again. And may this be the theme of our lives even today. He says this. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. That is God's gift to man. Let this be the theme of your heart today. This is where God's people are different from the rest of the world. You see, for those who are not followers of Christ, your only hope is to cope with your reality. But if you know Christ and your hope is based on him for all of eternity, then you do far more than cope. You actually experience joy today right in the midst of whatever is going on. As long as they live, says Solomon, realizing that our lives will not be fully satisfied until Jesus returns. So until then, here's what you do. And this is your assignment today. You take an inventory of the good gifts that God has given to you. Every single thing. You count your blessings. You name them literally one by one. And you recognize that every single thing that you have in this life came to you by the good providential hand of your father. You recognize the health that you do have today. You recognize the friends and the family that you do have. You recognize the church that you do have, the Bible study that you do have, the parish group that you do have, the promises, the future, the callings, all that you do have today, they're yours. The school, your level of intelligence, your employment, your money, your dreams, your laughter. Don't focus on what you don't have today. You see what you do have and you recognize the God who took away your sins is the God who gave you every single one of those. Be it easy or be it hard, be it simple or be it complex, be it little or be it lots, it all came from your Savior. What you have is given to you by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do you apply this today? I really think I'm being faithful to the text when I say this. I think your application today is that after lunch, maybe after a parish group tonight or after dinner, you get some people together You have ice cream, you enjoy it, you laugh, you think about the sweetness of Christ, and then you go back and eat more ice cream. That's really it. You know, we're dealing with the reality of resurrection in the fall. We're not counting calories. We're giving ourselves to the Lord has been good to us. Celebrate his kindness. Celebrate his goodness. Talk about the sweetness of your Savior and what he has done. The gifts that he has given to you. Can you laugh and enjoy them today in recognizing that all you have came from the Lord who loves you? And in so doing, may we all be overwhelmed with joy of the grace of God in our lives. Seasons change. Times change. People come, people go. We cannot control it. But we live underneath the authority of the one who does. So may we enjoy him today. Let's pray now and ask that the Lord will prepare us to come around his table.
Oh, Father, as we dwell upon these things, we do celebrate in your goodness to us that, Jesus, we have you. Even today, we have your Holy Spirit. We have your promises. We have this mill that's been set before us. Oh, Jesus, I pray that we would hunger and thirst for you and that we would see the reality that you have consistently been faithful to us. Even in our confusion, you are not confused. Feed us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.